Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ways of Working podcast. I am your host, Adam Thackeray, and today we have Brandon Houston joining us. So Brandon has grown, bought, and sold multiple successful businesses over 16 years as an entrepreneur, including his latest, The Collingwood Foundry, which is a co-working space or co-working community that he has built to connect and support other entrepreneurs. Uh, it's an amazing facility. Uh, my company uh, is based out of The Collingwood Foundry, and they have been very welcoming. They are very community-focused. Um, so I love working out of here, and I love the connections and you know just the, the community feel that comes along with it and the willingness and collaboration that takes place. So, so very fond of, of The Foundry. Um, so Brendan, he actually actively works with other entrepreneurs as well to help their businesses grow and has worked with both municipal and federal level, federal levels of government to form policy for youth entrepreneurship and strategies for economic development. Underlying it all is a constant drive to have a positive impact on his community and the world overall by connecting and supporting people in following both their passions and their purpose. Uh, Brandon, amazing individual, very happy and excited that he was able to join us today. Uh, so without further ado, let's welcome Brandon Houston. All right, so we're here with the Ways of Working podcast. I'd like to welcome Brandon Houston. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Been looking forward to, uh, to having this podcast with you and obviously, you know, in Collingwood, get the pleasure of working out of the foundry, uh, which is a, a place that you own and operate. So very excited to, to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Um, so I always like to lead off with some intro questions to kind of, you know, get to know the individual that, you know, we're bringing on board. And one of them is you have a tagline in LinkedIn that says lead with heart, build with passion and live with purpose. And based on some of our, you know, conversations and interactions so far, I feel that that's a, a good intro to get things started and can lead to so many of the things you, you may be involved with. Mm -hmm. So yeah. can you can you unbox that a little bit and tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So I mean, the main elements of it are really, um, you know, when I when I talk about leading with passion, is in everything that I do, all of the initiatives, the projects that I work on, the businesses that I start, um, they all start with something that is tied closely to either my values or, mm -hmm. or what I love doing. Yep. Um, so that's important to me. Um, you know, the but the other side of the passion piece and the heart piece is also the empathetic side. So everything that I do in the community building that that I do through the foundry and through other projects, all starts with the empathetic um, listening to other people and and really. Um, trying to address what their needs are um, in the time. So when I'm working with other businesses, other entrepreneurs, it really starts with being a listener first. And I like that a lot because a lot of people, they listen to only say something next, right? They're not actually listening intently in, or, in order to, to truly help somebody out. So that's really cool to, to hear that. And so, um, you know, talk a bit more about the Foundry. I've mentioned it. You just mentioned it. It's obviously not everyone listening is going to be aware of it. So talk about, you know, what it is, how you got started with it. It, it sounds like it came out of this, you know, passion that you have. But give some background on that because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So the Foundry is a co-working space in, in downtown Collingwood. And and for anybody that's familiar with Collingwood, it's a relatively small community, and, and you wouldn't think of all places that a co-working space would be something mm -hmm. that would be um, in big demand here. Surprisingly, we have a great entrepreneurial ecosystem in Collingwood, so it's done quite well. Um, where it's come out of was actually just out of a, a need of my own in my other business, Switch Video, which was when I moved to the area, um, and this was about five years ago, I acquired Switch Video and we were in this beautiful big space on the second floor of downtown Collingwood. 
and part of the reason why I acquired Switch Video was actually as a, a turnaround project. The company um, was in some challenging yep. times and needed yep. needed somebody to come in and, and right the ship. Um, and one of those things was taking this space, this 4,500 square feet that we had yep. at the time and saying, you know, we have a lease, what can we do to maybe subsidize some of that cost. So it really started out of a need to say, all right, we want to reduce some of our expenses. Yeah. That's really what true, it was. True entrepreneurial spirit, right? Exactly. Fix, fix the bleeding neck wound you have. And... Exactly. So we, so, so it was, I had some background in starting another co-working space yeah. prior and it kind of just made sense to me. We mm-hmm. had all this space, all these desks. And I said, well, let's just open the doors yeah. and see who shows up. Yeah. Um, and, and it just kind of grew organically from there. And, and I can tell you, I'm very thankful that it's here. Uh, having a, a very busy household and no office to go to, I was very excited to to be able to come in. And it is an awesome space. And I really liked when we talked about it that you said it is about the community. You are trying to bring more people in. It's not just come in, sit down, and like rent a desk or rent a space. You are really trying to get things involved. And obviously, you know, with COVID and other things that have been taking place, it doesn't always lend itself to um, having the events and things like that. Obviously, that can't take place, but it gives something to look forward to. Like, I'm very excited about those things to start to kickstart again whenever that may happen so that's very cool um on that dynamics of work have obviously changed everyone's at home um lockdowns here um in various capacities depending on you know what what state you're in what province you're in whatever um but as that continues to evolve as people start to go back to work as the herd mentality with the vaccine takes place um how do you see co-working shifting things do you see that it acting as a catalyst to accelerate kind of this decentralized workforce we're going to start to move into or what are some of your thoughts around that yeah i think um i see co-working as things start to open back up um becoming much more prominent much more needed in areas um we've seen the spike even in the last year of people moving to this area um working remotely and and it's actually evolving to a point where it's not just entrepreneurs that are coming out to work from a co-working space now with the shift in workforce and structure there's also employees of Mm -hmm. companies Mm -hmm. that have the potential to become members of co-working spaces. And I think that's actually an area that's going to grow a little bit more. Um, the other thing that we're seeing, and, and this is maybe specific to co-working spaces that are in more um, rural areas or outlying areas of urban cores, is a lot of people are leaving the main cities. Yeah. So you see people migrating from places like New York and Montreal and Toronto out of the city, moving to areas that uh, fit their lifestyle much more. Right, right. right. Um, and, and this is, I think, a big opportunity for co-working spaces that are in those areas mm-hmm. because people are making that move now knowing that working from an office is not necessary. Right, yeah. But not everybody's going to want to continue working from home or be able to continue yeah. working from home. So there's actually a really huge opportunity, I think, for co-working spaces. It's going to um, grow significantly, Very I think, cool. over the next year. And how do you think, like, so somebody maybe moving from a metropolis to, say, Collingwood, for example, how do you think they can survive, you know, or thrive, if you will, not survive is not really, but like really thrive because it's, it is a shift. It is a smaller community. Things are different. You've lost a, a bit of touch. You know, there's digitally you're connected, but you lose that. But how do you think people can be successful when they're migrating and coming into um, a place like the foundry, you know, moving forward? Yeah. And I mean, I don't see everybody leaving the city. There are yeah. going to be a lot of people that 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 urban density the urban lifestyle 
appeals to them. Right. So, yeah. so a more rural area is not going to draw them here permanently. No. Um, but for the ones where this lifestyle is really appealing, this transition is, is relatively easy for people. The biggest shift is actually in, um, the, fulfilling the needs of the people that are used to getting certain things or having access to certain things in, in larger cities versus smaller communities. And Collingwood's a little unique in that we do have a lot of the, the big city things. Yes. And I think that's yeah. because of the proximity of where we are based on where Toronto is. Um, but it's really been an easy way for people to, to make that move from the city to this rural area, which the community here is about 25,000 people. That's yeah. fairly small, but mm -hmm. it still kind of has that that bigger city it does, feel, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the ability to adapt is relatively easy here, uh, maybe in comparison to some other smaller communities. Mm -hmm. And do you see like some of the smaller businesses, like there's the Main Street ones, but there's also a lot of very thriving businesses that aren't, you know, mom and pop type shops, but they're smaller units. How do you see them adapting after COVID so that they can really start to drive, you know, the economy in the area? Because it is about sustainability and there's some pieces around growth for the area. And how do you, you know, what, what do you think is going to be, you know, uh, required or needed for those companies to really thrive as it comes out of COVID? Well, I think, I think this past year, everything that the, the pandemic has sort of shone a light on or put a lens on is that the need for looking at business as a, a more global opportunity mm -hmm. versus just your own community. Yeah. I think this has really showed people, okay, we maybe can't survive as a business solely relying on a local market. Right. There's an opportunity out there. And for the businesses that I've had conversations with here, that have a bricks and mortar store, but they already had been in the e-commerce space, yep. their business grew this year by leaps and bounds. And you wouldn't think that would necessarily be the case given mm -hmm. the year that we've had. Right. But I think a lot of people have now realized, oh, there's a lot more opportunity if we were to leverage yep. taking our business online and yep. putting more of a focus on that. And I think that's going forward how businesses are going to survive and, and grow and be more successful on the, the retail side, since we're downtown, the bricks and mortar piece, that's really going to change over the next few years. Um, because bricks and mortar where somebody's coming, buying a product and leaving, mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same anymore no. because you can do that online. Totally. Yeah. So to stay relevant in bricks and mortar, everything is going to shift towards more of an experiential uh, place. Yeah. So businesses, that are keeping their bricks and mortar are going to start building experiences into uh, why people are coming into their space. Right. Um, they're going to have to if they want to adapt. Now it presents other challenges with with going online because it it shifts the business from if you have a local business that sells uh, a, a line of products that say. Uh, licensed by a larger distributor, mm -hmm. which is then you know sold in other businesses and other towns. Yeah, when you take that in an e-commerce online marketplace, that now becomes more challenging because you're selling something that a lot of other people are selling yes. as well. Yes. So the ones that are really going to do well, the ones that are really going to survive, are the ones that are actually going online and providing a product or service that's unique. Yeah. Those are the ones that are really going to stand out. Yeah. And I think the customer success piece, you know, because you mentioned experience and, and the experiential piece of it, I think once you start to bring in that omni-channel approach, it will allow people to then 
look at the experience across the board and people can put it in like that end-to-end -end customer life cycle and customer success aspects because it's it's a longer cycle it's not just as you said sell a product and you're gone it's going to be a much longer um, engagement which will be very different for people because they're very used to um, you know high turnover if you will or high selling of, of the the product whereas now it is more about the experience so you're not just relying on that Absolutely. I think what's going to become more important is two things is that experience and relationship building. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. That's very important. You mentioned, um, you know, the importance of lifestyle. That's why a lot of people come up here and, and, you know, that was one of the reasons why, you know, we came up here as well as the, the change in lifestyle, the balance of, you know, doing more of the outdoor activities, the 365 playground, um, obviously habits and, and discipline are very important in life. And, and obviously those that generally have great habits and discipline, make things more advantageous for themselves. Um, what are some of the habits and disciplines that, you know, you've adopted over the course of your, you know, working and personal life that have really benefited you the most? Um, biggest one is routine. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do, I, I do notice that if I ever, uh, fall off of my routine, yeah. that's hugely impactful in a, in a negative way to my productivity, to yeah. my mental well-being. Yeah. So that's first and foremost, I follow a pretty strict routine, um, starting in the mornings. Yeah. Um, like some of those practices are um, simple things like exercise mm -hmm. uh, that to, I can't say enough how much that has such a, um, a mental benefit on, yeah. on my health. Um, yeah. so definitely exercise meditation has become a huge part of my life over the last couple of years. Um, to me, that's incredibly important, um, both for mental well being and, and health. Um, and cold immersion is another thing that I've recently gotten into over the last couple of years that has some great benefits, both on the, the mental wellness side, um, but also on the, the physical health right. side. So, so talk about, so I, I, I want to bring, come back to meditation in a bit because I, I have some questions around that, but the, the cold immersion piece, cause we were talking about it the other day and it's come up a few times and I, I actually did a bit of it this morning, nice. probably not to the extent I was supposed to, but <laughs> I was out in a snowbank, if you will, but talk a bit more about it. Like, it, you know, there's, there's obviously some, some well-known practices around it, but go into it a little bit, tell, you know, how you started, you know, did you start incrementally? Did you jump right in and like, just go through that a bit more because I think it's uh, I think it is important I think it is really a, a really cool thing yeah I got started incrementally and it was just um, based on uh, finding out about uh, a guy from overseas his name's Wim Hof he's his nickname's the Iceman he's he's become a bit of an online sensation but there's a lot of research that's backed up some of the the things that that he's done so that's what interested me at first was like okay well what are the benefits that he's saying that are coming from that um, and there's a lot of them when you dig into them. And there's been a lot of research over the last few years talking about what those are. I mean, traditionally, we've known that um, cold immersion or, you know, ice is great for um, pain relief, swelling, um, you know, after yeah. a workout. Yeah. That they've always recommended that. Mm -hmm. But now there's research that's come into um, helping your immune system. Um, your cardiovascular system, yeah. um, helping your, um, even your mental well-being. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of research that's gone into that. So that's, that's when I really got interested in digging it more into the research of it. And it wasn't just uh, one day I, I jumped in an ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> you, there, there was a process that led me into that. And um, I, I went for a, um, a training workshop. Uh, oh, interesting. An instructor that, yeah. it, that teaches the Wim Hof method. Okay. And with that, really, there, there are some elements to it that are like meditation. Yeah. 
And it starts out with breathing exercises. And the breathing exercises actually help to reset your immune system, help to um, prepare you for the next stage, which is the, the cold immersion. Right. Um, and generally, um, how it started out um, in the initial training was, you know, starting with some cold showers, alternating between yeah. hot and then cold for right. 30 seconds and yeah. back and forth, and, and just um, growing it until you can do full cold showers. Right. That was really the beginning of it. And, um, and what and what's the like the the time frame like full cold shower is it full cold for 30 seconds or what's the ideal kind of, like if you're looking at milestones or something like that like what's a an ideal milestone to get to yeah so so with cold shower and with immersion um what they say is that a good target is a maximum of about two minutes mm-hmm. if you go uh, one to two minutes that's great yeah um anything beyond that they say there's no real um benefits to stay oh interesting in. you're just showing off <laughs> <laughs> look at me ice exactly. man guy yeah <laughs> So one to two minutes is great. Yeah. That has the, the health benefits. Yeah. The, that'll provide you with the health benefits of it. And then, you know what, beyond that, do what you want to do. Right. Um, but that's sort of a good target. Um, and that's sort of what I kind of aim for. Okay. Very cool. I, I, I've been looking at it. I want to get into it a bit more. And so I was, I'm curious as to what's that, that threshold that you, you need to be at in order to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the great thing about it is like when you, when you're in there for that one to two minutes, what it really does is it, it really forces you to focus on your breathing. Right. Which, I mean, that's another element of meditation, right? Yes. So that's, so you almost are in a bit of a meditative state when you're sitting immersed in cold water. And do you find your like heart rate? Cause your heart rate inevitably is going to start to freak out when you first go into cold water so do you find that it, it the, the meditation does help to lower it and obviously get you into a more regulated state if you will it does it does help you to lower it and to regulate it and i've found for myself it actually um by doing that more regularly allows me to better regulate my own heart rate in mm. normal circumstances as well that's because cool. one of the things that it affects is your um your fight or flight your right um, yes mode right so it's so you're able to to better control um, your heart rate and, and that sort of, um, fight or flight. And do you uh, find that triggers. leads to, cause like I was going to ask around that, like how, how have you found that's applied to life or like, like in this instance, ways of working, like when you're at work, you're dealing with others, you're dealing with, you know, when everything's rainbows and unicorns, it's fine. But when you get into heightened situations of some sort of, uh, manner, whether it's with, you know, your employees, with a situation with the city, how have you found that that's helped you? Have you seen the applicability of it and that transition and results? Absolutely. The, um, I mean, there, there's no shortage of stressful situations when you're an entrepreneur. Yes. (laughs) All day long. (laughs) Exactly. So, so something like this, um, and again, meditation as well, really helps you to, um, regulate your heartbeat, focus and, and recognize that, um, this is just something that's happening in the moment. And it's not permanent. Right. And that'll lead into some of the meditation stuff that I've been studying as well and been working on. But it's it's really that um, puts you in that state of relaxation, knowing that um, you'll come out of it and everything will be okay. Yeah. And I find it interesting too, because like you hear such positive stories of meditation and, and like cold immersion as another example, but people are so hard pressed. They, they almost don't want to make time for it. They'll make time for everything else. And obviously it's a, a different period right now, but even when life is, you know, somewhat in a normal state, whatever that normal may be, people still have a hard time carving out, 
um, even a fraction of like two minutes, like even start with two minutes of meditation or two minutes of the cold immersion. Mm -hmm. People have a really hard time setting that aside um, to invest in themselves so they can be better for others, right? Because if you don't invest in yourself, you've at least personally, I find that it impacts everything around you, right? Everything's connected and interconnected in some form or another. And so you, you see the, the run on effect or the ripple effect quite quickly. Absolutely. And, and to your point, um, between the Christmas and New Year's uh, phase, um, I had a, a moment of lapse in my routine. Mm. And just, just a couple days of falling out of this routine of um, yeah. you know, the cold immersion and the meditation and my exercise, I saw a huge impact on my productivity and my, my stress level. Right. Do you find it's a clarity thing too? Do you get like foggy brain and stuff like that too? Cause you're just, you're just not in, in the flow and you, and things go into a, another state. Absolutely. Yeah. Clarity is a big piece of it. Now there's other things that I do as well to help with that. Um, I, over the last, uh, couple of years I've gotten, um, pretty heavy into researching the, the whole biohacking movement. And so I've gotten yeah. into, you know, in, in the mornings, um, I put, um, I put chaga mushroom in my coffee. Yeah. I, I use lion's mane mushroom capsules yep. Every, yep. on a daily basis. Okay. And those have great cognitive um, performance abilities to them, right? For, yep. for focus, for stress levels, yep. that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's not one thing, I think, in, in my routine. I think it's probably several of those things that have helped. And I like the biohacking piece, right? Like the, it's always the notion of continuously improving. So that's very cool that you're, you're always trying to make things better. I think that's almost an entrepreneurial thing, right? You're always trying to solve problems, make things better, you know, and, and change, change the world. And that can be yourself as well. Right. And, and I think that's why, um, a lot of entrepreneurs have, have gotten into that. Um, yes. I, I mean, I, I heard of it from Tim Ferriss originally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now i I'm a heavy follower of Ben Greenfield. Yeah. Um, so I, that's, what's kind of led me down that path of finding out more about it. I didn't know about the capsules either. So I'm going to write that down because I've tried the, the tea and I, I can't do it. There's mud tea and there's a few other ones right. out there and I'm like, I just, I can't stomach it. It's like I was watching an episode of Ted Lasso <laughs> last night and they, he's like, this is a joke, right? You're just playing me. There's, <laughs> this isn't really stuff you guys drink. And the other guy who's an English, Ted Lasso's the American coach and the, the English uh, football player, he's like, no, no, this stuff is delicious. I love it. <laughs> and he's like, no, it tastes like, you know, sweat, like sweat water. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the capsules make it a lot easier and i i just use the powder in my coffee you don't taste it in the coffee at all oh, okay. it's perfect for the chaga yeah um and then i usually so my morning coffee routine is is the little bit of chaga um and i also use yeah. the bulletproof brain octane oil as well oh yes um, I've, I've found that that's great for coffee. it is yeah i use MC, i use mct oil and I, I find it's very helpful it's night and day when i had somebody refer that to me and i was like wow yeah like, the, like i'm like getting old sucks. <laughs> and so anything I can use to keep the brain churning a little better is always advantageous for me. So. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So we mentioned meditation. Um, tell us a bit more about, so there's, you know, let's start with the story first. You, you went on a retreat of sorts and you were silent for a very long time, which was, I think long, I talk a lot. So the fact that you were silent for many hours, um, I would find it would take a long time to get to that. So tell us about that story and how, how impacting that was and, and what it was all about. 
Yeah, so I, I, I had been meditating before that, um, and probably about, you know, once or once a day, one, once every two days, um, maybe for 15, 20 minutes yeah. at a time. So yeah. it wasn't like I really practiced leading up to the, <laughs> up to this. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, it's a retreat not far from here. Um, it's Vipassana meditation. Okay. And um, I had actually uh, learned about it from my partner, Jen, because yeah. um, she had done it once before okay. as well. Yep. And it's a 10-day silent retreat. And in preparation for it, you basically bring yourself. You don't bring... That's you, it, eh? You, you can't... I mean, bring clothes, obviously. Okay. but Maybe a um, toothbrush or something. <laughs> maybe a toothbrush. <laughs> um, no books, no no, oh. no pen, no paper, no phone. Um, you, you are literally, uh, for the 10 days that you're there, um, just alone with yourself and your thoughts that's that's essentially the the purpose of it very cool and so you go and it's two meals a day so there's it's essentially intermittent fasting as well it's healthy uh, vegetarian food that yeah. they feed you yeah. um, and you spend each day meditating for 10 hours a day wow um, and it's it's a mix of meditating on your own in your room uh, in the hall where everybody would gather okay and uh, uh, throughout the process they'll eventually assign you a cell which is about a, a four foot foot by four foot closet essentially that you meditate on a mat in and um and it literally is 10 hours a day with with a few small breaks in between right um uh and and that's it and it's i didn't know going into it um how easy or hard it was going to be right um i generally consider myself um a person that's able to to be on their own for for a while so right, i thought yeah. you know that might not be bad yeah that, i don't think that'll be it was actually the physical piece that i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to sit for that long that's a long time to sit it's and you're not supposed to move so it's right. um that was the part that i was unsure of and and it was actually i didn't find it as bad as i thought okay. it was going to um the the mental side of it was actually the the much more challenging right. side of it and it's a it's a bit of an educational process each day you do watch an hour uh video with the teacher that um teaches you a lesson mm. and that lesson evolves throughout the 10 days that you're there okay and the type of meditation that it is is you're you're doing a body scan so you you start the tip of your top of your head and scan to your toes and what the purpose is you're just scanning for sensations and what that might be is oh i've got a itch on my cheek yeah. or you know oh i can feel my heart rate has changed there so these little little sensations in your body and as you do it over the 10 days it becomes easier and easier to feel more subtle sensations um and the the process what they're teaching you um, ultimately is to feel the sensations in your body and recognize that those sensations are impermanent. The impermanence mm -hmm. is a term that they use quite a bit. Right. And what that essentially means is to not, to, to teach you to be non-reactive. Right. And that non-reaction to what they call either a, a craving or an aversion. So in a craving, it's, it's a reaction to something that you enjoy an aversion, a reaction to something that you don't like. So it's a, a pain in your back or your arm. Yeah. And the idea is that you're observing that sensation. You're the observer of that, but you're not reacting to it. Um, and, and what that does as you go through the process, um, they talk about 
eventually the other cravings and aversions that have come up in your life in the past compound in your body. They, um, they bury down. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that's, that leads to misery in your life is essentially the, the, you're just continuously pushing everything down, not being open with yourself. So exactly. Gotcha. So, so while it starts with physical sensations, this translates a lot to emotional sensations as well. Right. So as you start to observe and not react, previous sensations or or previous reactions start to come back up. Mm. So on an emotional level, um, things start to come back up from your past. Right. And it can be a challenging experience to be witness to some things that you may not have thought about for a very long time coming up from your past. Right. And you have to be non-reactive to them. Right. So the process um, is almost like a purging. And how did you find that? Because the first thought is that eventually there is going to be an overreaction, if you will, or you're just going to be over, overly stimulated because there is just so much bubbling up. So how did you find that? Was it a, like a battle of <laughs> wills, if you, you know, within inside or how, how did that so, play out? Yeah. First five days, um, were easy. Okay. <laughs> and then on day five, I, I cracked. Yeah. Uh, I, I was sitting, uh, meditating and, um, I, I couldn't even tell you what came up, but, um, emotional, like just my emotional state at that point. Um, I had actually felt like I had fallen in a deep pit of depression. It was, it was intense. It's so, so it's just finally broken you down almost if you will. Absolutely. And, and I was feeling like, Oh my God, I don't think, I don't know how to get out of this. Right. I don't know if I'm ever going to. And then the next day, it was like a weight was lifted. Interesting. And then the days prior leading up to the end were almost a bit of a roller coaster. It was, it was moments of, of happiness and bliss and then moments of, of pain and, and memory and, uh, and, and deep emotion. So it was this, it was this process of, of memories and things coming back that mm-hmm. um, I couldn't even really uh, vocalize what some of those things were, but right. I could feel it. Yes. You could, you could feel it because with every, um, with every experience that we have, um, whether it's a physical experience or a mental experience, um, we have a physiological reaction to it. So right. Best yes. comparison would be, you know, if you get scared, your heart rate changes. Yes. There's a physiolo- physiological reaction. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's, it's all of these things coming back up and realizing and working towards this process of just being the observer and knowing that nothing is permanent Mm -hmm. and walking away from that after the 10 days was, was a gift because it was, it was a tool now that I had that I thought, wow, this could be applied to my everyday life as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, because I can recognize these experiences that happen in life, however bad they may be, are not permanent. Exactly. And, and we just observe them and, and we can take wisdom out of each of those things, Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have to hold on to them and bury them. Yes. And even if it's a matter of it's uh, undesirable experience, you can, as you said, you observe it. It's not like you want to ignore it because that's the compounding piece that exactly. you had mentioned. You observe it, you acknowledge it, but you're like, all right, keep moving. You're not having an impact on me. Exactly. 
Yeah, it's very cool. I like that a lot because it like there's just so many applicabilities in business, right? You see, people are constantly stressed out at work. People are at, well, it's it's a like over the last five years, people have been exceptionally depressed at work because people are overworked. They're not in things they want to be doing. Um, you know, they have terrible management. The leadership isn't doing anything. They're underpaid. They're overstressed. Whatever it is, that there's there's countless reasons why. But it's people are not happy these days. And so again, back to they're they're not taking time for themselves. And this sounds like something that would definitely be helpful <laughs> to them to just take now obviously 10 days maybe not but at least with the meditation they could start with a couple days and, and if they can afford to like I would love to go on that 10 day thing I'd be as somebody who needs to be out and about as an extrovert by myself for 10 days might be a little challenge <laughs> but I've always thought about just going away for a bit and doing that so I'll, I'll take a note of that maybe <laughs> absolutely yeah it was a great experience it is it is tough to not speak to anybody for 10 days because I, you're I surrounded by people but you're not allowed to acknowledge them. That's even worse. I'd go batshit crazy for a bit. It, like it, for... <laughs> it was tough. And I, and I thought, I thought, yeah, I'm cool with that. That's not going to be a problem for me at all. But partway through, having all these people around you and knowing that they're so close to you, but you can't even say hello... Yeah, that weighed heavily on me. I couldn't believe how much that that, that actually impacted me. Yeah, because I can go away and meditate for like half an hour, or I can go, you know, be on my own for a little bit. But like that long, or and and the fact that you can be around people but not say anything, it's almost like a bad game, right? It's like <laughs> it's like you're all kids and you're playing the game of see who can be quiet the longest, and eventually somebody's gonna crack, and then everyone <laughs> will. But in this instance, no, you have to you have to stay quiet. So that's that's pretty crazy. Um, one of the things that, you know, I always like to ask is around books. Like I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a big pusher and, you know, believer in reading and learning, uh, continuously learning and trying not to feel dumb in, in that respect. And, um, because we're on the topic of, of betterment, like what are, what are some of the top three or not some, what are the top three books or what are some books that you would recommend that would be beneficial both personally and then could apply towards business? Yeah. So, um, the one that I think that I read in the last year that had the biggest impact on me um, was written by Yancey Strickler. Um, he's the co-founder of Kickstarter. Oh, yes. Um, so he wrote a book called This Could Be Our Future. And it's not it's not a business book by traditional means, um, but what it essentially is is a book that talks about what, what do we put value on? Mm -hmm. the, the system that we're in, the, the capitalist system, if you will, um, that we're in puts value on driving revenue yes making money um and and what he talks about is a bit of the history of that and and when you look at the traditional uh the stock market wall street um capitalism that's actually not how business always was that changed in the 70s with um is it milton glazier yeah issued his letter to the uh, to the market that that basically a corporation's purpose is to drive revenue um and profit for its shareholders yeah before that that actually wasn't that wasn't the main driving force behind business no um and he talks about the story of and I, I i can't think of his name right now but the founder of i believe it's panasonic oh, okay. started years ago how their um their whole purpose was basically to give back to the community to right because that's where businesses started was back everyone's in it for the fan for the community exactly to, to, to enable the community not enable individualistic nature exactly so yancey's book talks about what would happen if we put value on things other than money right 
and use that to drive our purpose and our business. Um, and he built this thing called the, the Bento Box, which is basically a, um, uh, it's a grid of four squares that whenever mm -hmm. you're making a choice and you can use it in life, you can use it in business, um, it, it's, it's four questions that he asks when you're trying to make a choice. And in the bottom left corner, it's, it's the me now. So if this decision that I'm making, how does it affect me right now? Mm -hmm. And then you, you move over and you look at how does it affect me in the future? So this is future me. Future. Right. And then you, you look north of that, above the me, it's the us, the we. How does it affect us, the, the community, right. my family, the world as a whole? And then the, the top right corner is the future us. So how does my decision or what I'm doing in my business or my life affect the community in the future, yes. the world in the future? Right. Yes. And if everybody can look at that as a model to run their business and build their business, um, it would have greater impact on the outcome of the world. It would benefit the world as a whole or even just the community or your family as a whole. Right. And so while it's not necessarily a business book in its yeah. traditional sense, what it is is it's, it's him trying to tell people that there's a better way to run a business, which can still be profitable because there's absolutely nothing wrong with making sure. a profit. Of course, yes. It's what you do with that and your values behind it. Right. And and that really resonated with me. I think that's very cool. Like it, it resonates with me too. Like I, I haven't volunteered a lot traditionally in the past, but st since, you know, becoming part of this community a few months ago, sustainability is very much on, on, on the top of mind all the time. And I think that's a, a big piece and you're seeing more of it, right? Companies and consumers are no longer tolerating that it's statistically proven that, you know, if, if there's a, you know, a product that was built here and there's a product built somewhere else and one's sustainable and one's not, they will pay more money for the sustainably built product because they understand from inception to being provided that product, that whole life cycle, what does it look like is important to people now. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I think for me, that's the, the biggest book that's had an impact. On Very me. cool. I'm like, a big reader. I, yeah. I read a lot so I could go on about a lot of books like Traction by Gino Wickman, yep. hugely influential on how to how to better organize and plan and structure a business from a, like what's my vision for the next year, next three years, and next ten years. Yeah, hands down, love that book. Another one that recently came out that I absolutely love by David Sachs. He's a he's a, a journalist. Is the soul of the entrepreneur, and this one I really like because the what the term entrepreneur is kind of morphed and evolved and changed over the last few years because of Silicon Valley. Yes. When you think of the term entrepreneur, you think of, you know, Facebook and, you know, Elon Musk. Yeah. You, you, like you think of, you think of these Silicon Valley tech. Yeah. The big unicorns. Right? Gods. Right. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, where the term entrepreneur came from, it's been around for a lot longer than that. Yes. And the yeah. entrepreneur could be, you know, the upholsterer down the road. Totally. It could be yeah. like, so he, his purpose in the book is to reclaim the word entrepreneur and, and try to tell people that that vision of that, um, young tech genius in Silicon Valley, um, that's not the only kind of entrepreneur. Right. And, and if you, 
you can still think of yourself as an entrepreneur and not be that. You don't yeah. have to compare yourself to And that. I think that's a hard piece because everybody's looking to be the next unicorn, right? Like even in Canada, everyone wants to be the next Shopify or, you know, they want to be the next Nortel but not make it crash and burn or Blackberry, you know, like they had some success stories here. But yeah, to your point, everyone's looking at the big Silicon Valley giants and saying, unless we're one of those billion dollar companies, we're, we're not an entrepreneur and and it is a hard it is a hard slog like even I've had a couple startups and they've gone nowhere and or very very little spot and it's very hard because you're like you are you're trying to aim you're trying to hit that hockey stick that investors want to see and you know and that whole path and but you are still an entrepreneur and and so I, I like that a lot so that's very cool because I, I was going to really understand because entrepreneur the word is a bit washed out too yeah um, and it doesn't have to be I guess is another so with with that, that that so one of my next questions was around that innovation is a bit of a buzzword. Um, so how do you think that you know because very community focused, how can this community focus on um, being truly innovative or not even innovative, but just pivoting so that they can be resilient um, come next time around? So if there's another pandemic, if there's another market turndown. So you mark you mentioned globalization. Uh, are there other pieces that? Um, people can start now or, or, you know, or people that are moving up here can start now in order to help them be more resilient moving forward. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think globalization is the, the biggest piece. Um, I, that's, that's the one piece that, that the people that are doing well in their business are the ones that have figured out how to leverage that. So um, realizing that your market is just not, not just your local market. Yeah. That's first and foremost will, will help you. Uh, the next time around. Now, this was an extreme circumstance. Of course, not yeah. everybody um, has had good luck in this. Not everybody could have prepared for this. No. So, so there's not really an answer to what can we do next time. But, but I think one of the things that came out of this is is learning that um, things change, surprises happen, extreme circumstances will present themselves don't be so tied to the model that you have or right. the, the, how you're operating your business that it will negatively impact you if a situation like this happens again. I've seen businesses that have gone through this last year trying to hold on to the way that they've run their business mm, yeah. prior to yeah. this, and they've not done well through this. The people that have done well are the ones that figured out, I need to change. Yeah. How can I change? And, and spend some time connecting with people and researching what they can do instead of being frozen in that fear of, yeah. well, I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and try to get through it. Being willing to actually adapt in circumstances like this is, is one of the, the best ways that you can get through it. Um, that's why we've tried to, through the Foundry, support all the entrepreneurs here that have struggled through this time right. um, through the meetings that we've had with them to mm -hmm. say there is a network of people that can help you and that's the other thing is it's good to have community it is yes it, in, a, in a situation like this um, in a normal in a normal year an entrepreneur can feel very alone and isolated 100% yeah um, it, because we we try to internalize everything we try to keep everything inside and we think we need to deal with it all ourselves. Yes. Um, and recognizing that that's not the case is a good first step. So building community around yourself, having a community that you can reach out to is hugely beneficial when circumstances like this come up because then you have people that you can lean on 
even if it's just to talk to. Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing that has helped some of the people that I've known in this area get through this time is just they've had somebody that they can reach out to and have a conversation with. There's, yeah. there's power in numbers. And if you're connected to a community of other business owners that all has their own experience, all has their gone through their own growth process, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, there's power in that pure network. Hundred percent, because there, there's trust, there there's psychological safety, there's all these things that, and those are powerful enablers and, and support mechanisms to that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I find that's big for even like big enterprise. Like I, I've had clients that are, are large enterprise customers, and the same is there. People are, um, whether it's culturally or just culturally, like from their background or culturally within the organization, people are afraid to ask. People are, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to ask the stupid question or I don't want to ask for help because I don't want to seem like it's a a sign of weakness or that I failed or that there's any sort of, you know, I'm going to be thought lesser of because I stuck my head, you know, took that bit of a risk and it really shouldn't be a risk, but people perceive it to be, just as you said, internalized, don't want to come out with it. And so that's very hard for people to ask for, you know, to, to ask for help. So it is, I think that is a big piece of just taking that step to ask for help. I find that that's a a big step forward, um, for people because it is very hard to ask for help because you're, you're trying to do so much and you want to do so much. And regardless if you're in big enterprise or even in a startup, I think it works the same way because no people are afraid. They're, they just think if I ask for help, then I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't know what's going on and they don't realize that everyone else is in the same boat <laughs> and nobody knows what's going on. It's just people have a perception of they think they know what's going on, but they really don't. <laughs> well, and that's, and, and that's a big that's a big challenge in, in entrepreneurship in the business world, right, is because we we see the perfect Instagram posts yes. we, of the yes. the entrepreneur that's just out there killing it, but you don't necessarily see everything that's going on in their life in the background because those aren't the shiny Instagram worthy no, pictures. They don't right? get more likes, right? So, yeah. so it's important to realize that um, everybody goes through shit. Like oh, everybody, yes. uh, no, <laughs> the, <laughs> what what you see of somebody's life on their social media is probably not fully representative of what they've actually gone through or are yeah, going through. Yeah. And that's where I think I think that's led to a lot of uh, mental health challenges for entrepreneurs because, I mean, depression has been a big challenge in entrepreneurship for a long time. And I yes. think this is part of it because we, we see the successes mm-hmm. or the so-called successes of people online. We don't really see or talk about the failures. No. And I think... I think it's important to talk about the failures. That's why I really like seeing events um, like the, uh, they do it in Toronto and a ton of other cities, the fuck up nights. Oh where yes. It's usually yes. three speakers that talk yes. about how did they like screw totally up screw in their it, business. Yeah. Right? And I think that's great, right? Because it just says, okay, there is a bit of normalcy. Things yeah. can go sideways. They will go shitty and it's okay yeah. that it did go that way. And, but just that there is support. So if you don't, if you don't feel okay, then that's fine as well. But let's at least talk about it. Right. Exactly. I forget. There was a woman who wrote an article a few years ago cause it was that mentality. You just heard success story, success story, success story, blah, blah, blah. You never saw the failures. And one woman finally said, just as you said, fuck it. They wrote an article and it was basically this montage of just how this company went from like, you know, up the, the three time revenue, blah, you know, was making excellent traction. And then, you know, just one thing happened and it, it took just a shit storm of a slide down and total fail, like disaster, depression, like the, 
everything fell apart. It was it was not a um, a good you know feel good story. But every entrepreneur could feel the pain too because they've likely been through it in some form or another. So it was nice to see that because it is it does help provide a. Uh, you know, an account of things that just make you feel a little better as well. Exactly. Those, those conversations are so important. And and do you think that we're going to see more of those? Because I, I don't think we see enough of it still, right? You see the odd person talking about it, but sometimes, and this is where it doesn't get as much cred, I guess, is that if you have like somebody who is already a billionaire or already somebody who's already made it and they're talking about their failure stories, it's like, okay, great. But you still are, you know, <laughs> making serious drip off the, you know, the billions you already have, but it's seeing like, you know, you mentioned in Toronto, they're having some of those, but, um, do you think we're going to see more of that coming out of it? Or, or how do you think, um, we could enable that in the community so that, you know, it, it becomes more commonplace. And so that people, again, feel that psychological safety to have those conversations and, and perhaps combat depression as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think we will see more of those. And to your point, it, it's important to, to hear the stories of the everyday entrepreneur and everyday business owner versus the the uber successful entrepreneur who tells his failure story, but now he's a millionaire, right? Like that's, it's harder to relate to those. I think the, the more localized or the more down to earth or more common stories are the ones that we need to hear. And really the ability to drive those conversations is just in providing safe space for people to have those conversations is to to let people know that it's okay to talk about failing it's it doesn't it doesn't change who you are it doesn't say you're a shitty business person right we all fail in some form or another totally i mean sometimes businesses just shit luck right like it's (laughs) it is it is you can prep as best as you want and just something bad happens right like you look at big companies now even peloton um and a number of others that i don't need to bother listing they were having some real trouble before covid and covid hit and the stock just you know through the roof nobody can get a peloton right now exactly yeah there's no way to there's no way to really um anticipate some of those yeah. those opportunities or those things that can change change the outcome of a, of a business or an entrepreneur but it yeah it's really I, I really hope we do see more of those conversations I'd love to facilitate more of those conversations because it is important for people to know that they can talk about challenging times that they're going through uh, and and have a space that they feel that they can share those stories with absolutely very cool where can we find you? So, uh, best place to find me is probably Instagram or Facebook. Okay. Um, Brandon H is my Instagram. Um, Brandon Houston 79 on Facebook. Easy to find me there. Um, my two business websites, callingwoodfoundry.com and switchvideo.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest place. You can usually find me online somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, We'll have all those details in the notes. So thank you very much as well as the books. And we look forward to having you back again sometime. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. No problem. Okay, everyone. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate our listeners tuning in and listening to the Ways of Working podcast. If you would like to learn more about Ways of Working, including all previous podcast episodes, please go to www.com. 
thack.ca, so that's T-H-A-C-K.ca, where you can find all of our podcast episodes as well as there's blogging and other articles. And we would love to hear your feedback, so please uh, provide that whenever possible. We always greatly appreciate it. So thanks so much, everyone.